Well, sometimes it's easier to affirm God's goodness at a general level than it is to genuinely trust that He cares for us as individuals. And what typically makes it harder for us to believe that is fear and anxiety. Welcome to the Radical with David Platt podcast, the latest sermons from teacher, author, and pastor David Platt delivered weekly. And as always, you can find more gospel-centered, missions-minded resources over at our website, Radical.net. Well, Pastor David has an important message for us today from Mark chapter 5, where he points us to Jesus' very own personal concern for a woman who would have been viewed by the world as unworthy of his attention. And in this, we are reminded of Jesus' compassion and mercy towards sinners just like us. It is his saving grace, not our own wisdom or power, that gives us hope and peace in every circumstance. So here's David with a sermon titled, You Have My Attention, from Mark chapter 5, verses 25 through 34. If you have a Bible, and I hope you or somebody around you does, you can look on with, or you have those notes that you can download from online, as well as the kid notes there, kids notes there, I invite you to open with me to Mark chapter 5. Mark chapter 5, and while you're turning, I'll just mention that in addition to this bandage on my head, which is continuing to recover well by God's grace, I'm wearing this care team t-shirt again this week to remind you to continue to pray as we serve for the spread of God's grace across our city during these days. And to give toward that end, uh, our not gathering together physically has certainly affected our offerings, so let me encourage you to give as you're able to online or through the mail. But you'll see some pictures scrolling here on the screen of work our church family has been doing this last week in our city. Of course, recommendations regarding masks came out late this week, and we'll be exploring creative means for that. We want to protect everyone as much as possible in this picture. But over the last couple of weeks, you have spent over 800 volunteer hours distributing thousands of boxes across our city. Every box feeds a family for a number of days. And every box includes an explanation of the gospel and invitations to join us online. So welcome to those of you who may have joined us that way. And thank you for all the church family, all of those of you who have come by the building here at Tysings to drop off food at our donation center. Please keep those goods coming. You can find out all the information about what goods are needed and how you can serve, items you can bring on our website. Just follow the links from the COVID-19 page. Let me say again, obviously not everybody can or should be doing this work, but this is where I want to encourage, challenge every single person within the sound of my voice right now who knows Jesus to invite someone you know who doesn't know Jesus to be a part of our gathering next week online for Easter. Invite as many people as possible, but focus on at least one who you are praying for every day. This Friday, we're going to have a Good Friday gathering online. I'm really looking forward to this. Everyone leading that gathering will be doing so from their homes, including myself, Lord willing. So we'll start at 6.30 p.m. We're going to reflect on the cross and Jesus' suffering, and then we're going to pray specifically for God to draw many people to Jesus next Sunday. But I'm praying that would happen 
today too, like ever since I study, started studying this passage that we're about to look at, I've been looking forward to this moment and praying that many people today might see for the first time the depth of Jesus' love for you. And you might put your faith in him. And I've prayed for those of you who know Jesus that you would encounter him in a fresh way in the next few minutes. So this passage, which a day just set up with that spoken word, is a potent picture of Jesus' personal love for you and me. But I really just want to focus on you today. I want to speak directly to you as best as I can from where I'm standing right now to you wherever you are sitting right now, whether here in Metro DC or some other state or country in the world. I want us to almost picture this like a personal conversation. Like I want to read this story to you that is in almost a frightening way so applicable to what is happening in the world right now. And I just want to show you personally four truths that I hope you will receive in your heart and in your mind and hold tightly to during these days. And all four of these truths are going to be aimed at you individually. So not just us generally, because that's what the story is about. It's about Jesus' love, not just for the many, but Jesus' love for the one, for each of us. So here's the story. Let me read it to you. Follow along if you have a Bible or if you have those notes from online. But Mark chapter 5, verse 21. So right after Jesus gave peace to a man who had been demon-possessed, which Mike walked us through last week, the Bible says, and when Jesus had crossed again in the boat, to the other side. So remember, Jesus had left the crowd at the end of Mark chapter four and had crossed on the boat to the other side. In the middle of that journey, a massive storm arose and Jesus stilled it. And then he delivers this demon-possessed man and then crosses back where a great crowd gathered about him. So the same crowd that Jesus had left before was now waiting for him to return. And he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name. So we'll pause for just a minute here. The rulers of the synagogue were some of the most respected and revered people in society in that day. So picture someone very well known and well respected by the crowds. He comes up to Jesus and seeing him, he fell at his feet. Now that would have been shocking because Jesus was not even welcomed by religious leaders at this point. So for this respected religious leader to come up and fall, prostrate down before Jesus, that just took away everybody's breath in the crowd. And he implored Jesus earnestly. Why? Because he said, My little daughter. So we find out later she was 12 years old and his only daughter. He says she is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. 
So this man has a daughter who is dying. Like any moment she could die. She is at the point of death. Yet he believes without question and there's no doubt in his mind that Jesus can save his daughter's life. Come lay your hands on her. She will be made well and she will live. So come as quickly as you can. And Jesus went with him. Keep in mind, this is why the crowds were flocking to Jesus like this. Back in Mark chapter one, verse 33 and 34, when Jesus was staying at a house, the Bible says that the whole city was gathered together at the door. Why? Because Jesus was healing many who were sick with various diseases. So they knew, the crowds knew, Jesus had power to make people well. Like imagine one physician right now who has a cure to this disease. Everybody would be running to see him. Which is why, so now back in Mark chapter five, a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. So you have all these people who are surrounding Jesus and Jesus is walking through them quickly on his way to a little girl who's at the point of death. It's urgent. And on his way, there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better but rather grew worse. Now, let's pause here and think about this woman because she has hurt written all over her life in a number of ways. So think about it. She's had a painful, unstoppable bleeding problem for 12 years. For the entire time this other little girl has been alive. So she is physically hurting. She is physically in pain and she has suffered under many physicians, suffered much. In other words, she has a physical illness for which there is no cure. Does that sound familiar? And then, as if the daily pain and weakness and hurt associated with that were not enough, she is hurting spiritually. So not just physically, but spiritually, because Jewish law said that she was ceremonially, ceremonially unclean, which meant she could not go to the temple for worship or go to the synagogue. In other words, she was a spiritual outcast, deemed too dirty for worship. And this not only had spiritual ramifications, this had massive social ramifications. So she was hurting socially. So you put yourself in her shoes. Basically, if you were deemed unclean, you could not as much as touch someone else or else you would make them unclean. Her uncleanness was contagious, which meant she couldn't touch anyone for 12 years. Now, we don't know more details about her, but just think, that meant she could not touch her children, her husband, she could not hug a friend, nothing. I didn't even think until I started studying this passage this week about the social distancing this woman experienced. Imagine 
In light of what we're experiencing right now, imagine not being able to touch another human being for 12 years. And then, so one more picture of her hurt. She was hurting financially. She had spent all that she had. She has no money left. So she's not only physically worse off, she is financially worse off. Like, could not God give us, have us in a passage that is more appropriate than this one on this day? When the world is deluged by a disease for which doctors have no cure, when leaders of every state and most every country in the world have demanded social distance from other people, when millions of people are losing their jobs, their source of financial stability, God, speak to us right now. What are you saying to us right now through your word? Let's read the story. She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd. So let's pause there. Like, imagine her trembling in that crowd. Like, she's never in a crowd. She stays away from crowds because she has to. Because she doesn't want to infect anyone else with her uncleanness. But now she's decided to do the unthinkable. Imagine her walking, like with her head down, hoping no one else sees her. If anyone knew who she was, they would not let her near Jesus or them. Yet here she was, her head down, her body brushing up against people in a way she hasn't experienced in over a decade. And she doesn't want Jesus to see her, so she comes up behind him. And she just reaches out her hand, shaking like a leaf in the wind, and she touched his garment. Like, what is going through her mind right now? Well, the passage tells us, for she said, and the language there is basically like, she's saying it over and over and over again to herself, like murmuring to herself, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. What a statement. This woman, like picture this, is both completely desperate and amazingly confident. Because she believes, she knows that if I just touch his clothes, I will be made well. And the word there, which we'll come back to later, is translated most often in the New Testament, delivered or saved. So she does it. She touches him. And verse 29 says, immediately the flow of blood dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. She touches his garment and time stands still. For the first time in 12 years, she is free from her disease and she can feel it. And she can feel the ramifications of it. She's not just physically healed. She is now spiritually clean and socially accepted. 
And for the first time in over a decade, she's able to use the money she earns on the things she most needs. Everything changed in the moment this woman touched Jesus. So what is God saying to you right now through this story? Right where you're sitting, make this personal. Four truths. Hear and receive them right where you are right now. One, for every hurt you have, Jesus is your only hope. That's what God is saying to you right now through his word. For every hurt you have in your life, Jesus is your only hope. I, I know, I'm looking at people right now who are physically hurting. Maybe you have this virus. Think about one older brother who most every Sunday comes up to me here in the lobby and encourages me who was taken to the ER yesterday and has tested positive. I know I'm looking at people with this virus who know it, with this virus who may not know it, and people with other physical struggles. I know that I'm looking at people right now who are spiritually hurting. Some of you, if you are completely honest, you feel too dirty for worship. Maybe this physical virus has exposed in you a lack of spiritual peace. I'm looking at people who I know are socially hurting. Shelter in place orders earlier this week hit you hard. Day after day after day in your house or your apartment are hard. You are now separated from people you love and you long for, or really just anyone. You want to be around someone socially. And I know as I've prayed, like some of you already struggled with anxiety or depression. And right now, some of you are hurting to the point where you wonder some moments if you want to go on. I'm looking at people who are economically hurting. You got your furlough notice this week. You don't know where your next check is coming from. Some, some of you were struggling to get by before this and now you really have no idea what to do. Regardless of what hurts you have, I want you to hear this word straight from God to you today. For every hurt you have, Jesus is your only hope. I know, as soon as I say that, I know some of you think that is ridiculously simplistic. Like, this is the problem with the church. You think the answer is always Jesus. No, the answer is a strong economy. My hope from supporting my family is not Jesus. It's working hard to get another job. And the answer to our social struggles is following these strategies of containment. And if we do that well, this will all be over. And the answer to our physical struggles right now is science and medicine. We don't need Jesus. We need doctors and nurses, nurses and researchers who come up with a vaccine or a cure. That's what we need. 
And if that's the way you think, then you are in an extremely dangerous place. Because you think the key in these days is more confidence in ourselves. And you are in danger of missing the whole point. Like, what more evidence do we need of our weakness? How much more of the world must shut down for us to see our collective worldwide insufficiency? Our medicine is not sufficient. Our strategies are deficient. We are making decisions in the dark. Our economy is not almighty. We cannot save ourselves. God help us to know what this woman knew. We need Jesus. And again you say, okay, I'm turning this off. This is absurd. Are you saying we shouldn't go to the doctor or work on stimulus bills or participate in strategies of containment? And I want to, want to be crystal clear. I'm saying we should do all those things. I am so thankful for doctors and nurses, heroes on the front line of this pandemic. I'm so thankful for economic stimulus bills. I am 100% supportive of strategies of social containment. But I also know that every doctor or nurse, for example, who wakes up to work on a patient today does so in the strength that Jesus provides them. And every medical researcher toiling away today is doing so with knowledge that they possess because Jesus has given it to them. This is straight from God. Colossians chapter one, verse 16 and 17. For by him, talking about Jesus, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and before him, and he is before all things, and in him, in Jesus, all things, everything holds together. Like, did you see this? Even if scientists or medical professionals hate Jesus, the reality is their skills right now come from the very one they hate. And that means all our hope right now is not ultimately in doctors or nurses or researchers, though we are extremely thankful for and continually praying for all of them, but that's just it. Our hope is not in the ones who are merely trying to fix our bodies. Our hope is in the one who formed our bodies in the first place and who sustains, sustained them every second before this pandemic and whose power alone will sustain us through this pandemic. His name is Jesus. Likewise, we are thankful for leaders and politicians who are working really hard to stabilize our economy. But let us be clear, our hope is not in the governor of our state or the president of our country. Our hope is in the governor of the wind and the waves and the king who has the capacity to still the storm and silence demons and heal disease. See it. This woman knew that Jesus could do what no one else could do for her. 
that Jesus could do what all the doctors and nurses in the world could not do. And I pray that you would know the same, that you would know that Jesus can do what no one else can do for you. For every hurt you have, Jesus is your only hope. Now, as I think about this first truth, I think, well, that is only comforting if Jesus cares for me. Because if Jesus doesn't care for me, and he's my only hope, then that is not good news. Truth number one is not encouraging. So, does Jesus care for me? Well, let's keep going in this story. This woman has touched Jesus. She has been healed. She's now ready to get out of that crowd as fast as possible, unnoticed. But verse 30 says, and Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately, in that moment, turned around in the crowd and said, who touched my garments? I talk about getting caught. Ever been caught doing something you hoped no one else would see? And all of a sudden, someone calls you out? It's embarrassing enough when it's just you. It's all the worse when you're in a crowd of people. This woman is looking for a quick getaway and all of a sudden Jesus says, who did that? Now what's going through her mind? Like how could he know? There's so many people around right now. How could he know what I did? Which is exactly what the disciples ask in verse 31. His disciples said to him, you see the crowd pressing around you. That you say, who touched me? Like, what kind of question is that? A lot of people just touched you. Touching you all the time. But he looked around to see who had done it. The language is like he, he scanned the perimeter. He's searching the crowds to find the one. So don't miss this second truth in your life right now. In a sea of urgent need. Jesus stops for you. And I see of urgent need. Remember the context here. Jesus is on his way to help a girl who's at the point of death. And not just any girl, but the only daughter of one of the most respected men in the city. Now he's stopping to say, who touched me? Like, Jesus, come on. This guy's daughter is dying. You're concerned about some commoner in the crowd who touched your clothes? Is this not awesome? The world thinks about the crowds. Jesus thinks about the one. You, you think about the situation we're in right now. It's staggering. Hundreds of thousands of people with this virus in this country alone. Thousands upon thousands of people overwhelming hospitals here and all around the world. A sea of urgent need. People dying. But the wonder of this story is that Jesus stops for the one. So this is where I want to urge you. Like, please see yourself in this story. Right where you are sitting, see yourself. Yes, there is a sea of urgent need around the world right now. But see this awesome reality. Jesus stops for you. <laughs> for you. Like, this just hit me 
One morning this week in my time with God, I'm praying, I'm spending time with him, just pouring out my heart to him. And I was reminded in a fresh way that yes, Jesus loves the crowds. He loves the world. He gave his life for the world and he is ministering in so many millions of ways right now. But in that moment, I was reminded that he was meeting with me. He was meeting with me. He was listening to me. He was speaking to me. God in the flesh, Jesus stops for me and he stops for you. That's the word I have for you today, straight from God's word. He stops for you. He loves you. And your needs or my needs might not be as severe as someone else's needs. But that's the beauty of this passage. That doesn't mean he doesn't care. He cares about every single thing you are thinking about, every single thing you are struggling with. Wherever you are sitting, whatever you are struggling or wrestling through, mark it down. You have Jesus' attention. Jesus is not distant from you. He is with you. He cares about you. For every hurt you have, Jesus is your only hope and he cares for you. And that care is indiscriminate, by the way. This passage makes clear he cares for the elite and he cares for the outcast. He cares about the synagogue ruler and he cares about the struggling, hurting woman, the rich and the poor, the respected and the rejected. The love of Jesus is indiscriminate, which, by the way, we must continue to renounce all discrimination during these days, particularly anti-Asian racism. Over a thousand reported incidents of Asian American racism in the last two weeks alone. Like church, we must combat that contagion. We must beware of anti-Asian bias that exists in our country and be willing to stand with and for the Asian American individuals and businesses in our city and with and for, of course, the large number of Asian American brothers and sisters in our own church family. Jesus' love is indiscriminate. So the story continues. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before Jesus and told him the whole truth. So as the crowd and disciples are dumbfounded by Jesus' question, this woman steps up and listened to the wording. Knowing what had happened to her, she came in fear and trembling. Fear. It's the same word that was used at the end of Mark 4 to describe what the disciples felt as soon as Jesus stilled the storm. Remember we talked about it. It's reverential awe. She's in awe of Jesus to the point where she is trembling and she falls down before him. And listen to this. She tells him the whole truth. This is breathtaking. For this woman, no doubt, now recognized as the unclean outcast that she is. 
she falls at Jesus' feet and pours out her heart. She tells it all. All of her hurts built up over 12 years. All of her pain, physically, spiritually, socially, financially. And she's saying, I just knew that if I could touch you, I would be okay. I would be delivered. But that's when it hits the crowd. Like what? This unclean woman has touched Jesus? This woman has now made Jesus unclean? But that is the beauty. Because when Jesus, when unclean people come to Jesus, he is not afraid of their uncleanness. This is truth number three. Jesus takes you as you are, not as you wish you were. Jesus takes you as you are, not as you wish you were. This woman was trembling, at least in part, because she knew she had defiled Jesus by touching him. But what she didn't realize was that this was the whole purpose for which Jesus came. Jesus didn't come for the clean. He came for the dirty. Jesus didn't come for the well. He came for the sick. Jesus didn't come for those who think they have it all together. Jesus came for those who know they need help. So for anyone listening right now who is exploring Christianity, maybe you tune in on your own today, neighbor, family member or friend invited you, regardless of the reason. This is the big picture story of the whole Bible. God created the world and you and me to enjoy him, to enjoy each other and to enjoy the world in perfect harmony. But we turned from God to ourselves. Every one of us has trusted in ourselves over God. The Bible calls this sin, and sin separates us from God. Sin disrupts the harmony that God originally designed for us with him and with each other and with the world. That is why we have sickness and sorrow and suffering and disease and death in the world because we are separated from God. And if you and I die in this state of separation from God, you and I will spend eternity in suffering away from him. Which begs the question, is there any escape then from this? Is there any hope of deliverance from sin and death and everlasting suffering? And the good news of the Bible is, yes, there is hope. There is a deliverer. There is a rescuer who can remedy our separation. Jesus came lived a life of no sin, then even though he had no sin to die for, he chose to die on a cross to pay the price for our sin. Then he rose from the grave in victory over sin and death so that anyone, anywhere who turns from their sin and trusts in Jesus will be cleansed of all your sin and reconciled to God forever. This is the greatest news in all the world. Jesus came to take your uncleannesses upon himself so that you could be clean. Jesus came to take your shame upon himself so that you can receive honor. 
Jesus came to die your death so that you can experience eternal life. And you don't have to fix yourself up to come to Jesus. You don't have to make yourself clean. That's the whole point. You come to Jesus with all that you are and he gives you all that he has. Jesus takes you as you are, not as you wish you were. So listen to his final words to this woman. He said to her, daughter. It's the only time in the entire New Testament that Jesus addresses a woman with this term of endearment. He says, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. Fourth truth, for you who trust in Jesus, no matter what the future holds, his peace will never pass away. Every word in this statement matters. First, this is for you who trust in Jesus. So up until this point, all three of these other truths have applied to anyone. For every hurt you have, Jesus is your only hope. That's for everyone. Regardless of who you are, Jesus is your only hope. Even if you hate Jesus, he's your only hope. In a sea of urgent need, Jesus stops for you. That's for everyone, no matter who you are, what you have done. Jesus cares about you. And Jesus takes you as you are, not as you wish you were. That's true for everyone, no matter who you are, what you've done. But this truth, this truth is only for you who trust in Jesus. And here's why I say that. You go back to verse 34, and Jesus says to this woman, what made her well? Your faith has made you well. Your faith has saved you. It's the same word the woman used earlier when she said, if only I touch him, he can make me well. He can deliver me. He can save me. She trusted in Jesus. That's the reason she was saved. Now, that leads to an obvious question. So if I trust in Jesus, does that mean I will be delivered from all disease? That if I trust in Jesus, if I just trust in Jesus, I won't get this virus or I won't die from it. And we'll talk about this more next week, but the short answer is, that is not what this passage means and it's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible does not teach that if you trust in Jesus, you will never get sick. Or that if you get sick, If you just have enough faith, you will be made well. That is false teaching that is promoted around the world as a so-called prosperity gospel, but it's no gospel at all. The good news of the gospel is far better than that. The good news, the great news of the gospel is not that God will heal you of all your sickness now. The good news of the gospel is that God will cleanse you of all your sins forever. The good news of the gospel is not that you can be rid of all your conditions on this earth. The good news of the gospel is that you can be restored to your creator for all of eternity, which is exactly what this verse is about. Because faith in Jesus leads to, when you see this word peace right here, the word there is a reference to life in harmony in relationship with God himself. 
So for all who trust in Jesus, you have a peace from and with and in the God of the universe that will never pass away no matter what the future holds. So earlier this week, I could tell uh, it was time for a date night with my wife, um, some needed time alone. So we put together a plan. I asked the, the kids to get cleaned up, clean up the house. Heather and I got dressed up, got in the car, and went out to pick up food. We picked up McDonald's for the kids, which I had no idea. They are so busy right now. It's been a long time since I went to McDonald's, but be warned, that drive-through long line is long right now. Then Heather and I went to one of our favorite restaurants in the city to pick up takeout. We came home, set up the kids with their McDonald's to watch a movie, and Heather and I lit a candle and sat at, a, at our table pretending we were at a restaurant. But our date night conversation turned pretty sober pretty quick because we had both read articles that day about couples our age who were seemingly healthy, no prior conditions, and one spouse contracted this virus and had to go to the hospital alone because no visitors are allowed. And the other spouse never saw them again. And all of a sudden our date in a way we had not planned turned into a pretty sober moment that led to a lot of tears as we faced the reality, I guess in a fresh way, that could happen to either of us. So we started having that conversation that no one enjoys having. What would you or I do in that circumstance in the short term, in the long term? And then as I looked into my wife's eyes with my heart like hurting on one hand at the thought of what I would do without her, on the other hand, think about how I don't want to see her hurt without me there to help. And the only confidence I could give her or myself is that if this happens, Jesus will prove sufficient. And I share that because uh, I don't know the future, but I'm pretty sure there are funerals coming in the days ahead for our church. And among our friends and in our families. I know it's already happened to some who are listening. And it certainly seems possible that some of us listening right now could be one of those funerals. None of us is guaranteed tomorrow, and we would be foolish to think otherwise. You might think, oh, this is really depressing, but just follow with me here. The reason I land here in light of this story is because I want more than anything else for you to know. Just come back to this personal conversation like I want you to know, to know that for you who trust in Jesus, no matter what the future holds, his peace will never pass away. 
no matter what the future holds. The love of Jesus, just look into your eyes like the love of Jesus will never, ever let you down. No matter what emotions tomorrow brings, no matter what physical hurt tomorrow brings, no matter what social challenges tomorrow brings, Jesus' love will never let you down and his peace will never pass away. So trust in him. If you have never put your faith in Jesus, trust in him today, I urge you, Please trust in him today. And if you have trusted in Jesus, hold tightly to him. And reach out your trembling hand to him day after day after day, moment after moment after moment, knowing that Jesus always stops for you. Will you bow your heads with me? bow your head right where you are I just want to ask you a question I want to ask you do you know that if you were to contract this virus if it were to take your life do you know that you would be with God in heaven do you know that peace and if the answer to that question is not a resounding yes in your heart I wanna invite you to put your trust in Jesus today. To reconcile you to God right now. You might know eternal peace with God right now, immediately. I invite you to pray right there in your heart. Just say to God, dear God, I am a sinner. I've sinned against you. I am separated from you by my sin. But today I believe that Jesus died on a cross to save me from my sin. And today I put my trust in him. I ask you, God, forgive me of my sin and give me eternal peace with you. Save, deliver me. And you cry out to God in this way. Jesus says, your faith makes you well. Oh God, I pray for all who are trusting in you right now. And for every single person who is looking to you with the faith of this woman in Mark chapter five to save them from their sins, I pray they would know their faith in you makes them well. And God, at the same time I pray, I pray for all those who know you Pray for all those who have trusted in you that in these moments right now, oh God, that you would remind them that you love, care for, stop for them, that you never ever leave them alone and you are with them and will be with them as their hope at every single moment. I just pray these truths over every single person who is trusting in you. In your name, I pray, amen. 
Thank you so much for joining us today on Radical with David Platt. As we continue to do every day, we are praying for those affected by the COVID-19 virus. We pray for healing, for God's peace upon you in these chaotic and uncertain days ahead. We pray Psalm 27, 8 over you. You have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. We're grateful you joined us today on Radical with David Platt. I'm your host, Thomas Bowen. And until next time, join us there at Radical.net.